Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Longtime listeners of our podcast or show know that each and every week, my guest and I look at the Torah portion, the weekly reading of the scriptures that takes place within the confines of the sanctuary of the Jewish people. This week, we are reading in the book of Numbers from the portion that is entitled Balak. It is one of uh, just a few Torah portions that is uh, called by the name of one of the protagonists in the story. And Balak is uh, not a member of the Israelite tribes. Uh, so it's an unusual portion in which it's named for someone who is not part of the community. Balak is the king of Moab. He summons the prophet Balaam or Balaam to curse the people of Israel, for he fears that they will outnumber uh, his people. On the way, Balaam is berated by his donkey, who sees uh, before Balaam and the angel that God has sent to block Balaam's way. Three times from three different vantage points, Balaam attempts to pronounce the curses that he's been asked to impose upon the Israelite. Each time, blessings issue forth instead. Balaam also prophesies on the end of days and the coming of the Messianic age. The story of Balaam and Balaam then becomes a different story at the conclusion of the Torah portion. The people, we're told, fall prey to the charms of the daughters of Moab, and in their interaction with the women of Moab, begin to worship the idol Peor, the primary god of the Moabites. When a high-ranking Israelite official publicly takes a Midian princess as his wife, um, Penchus is enraged and kills them both. The killing stops a plague that has been raging throughout the Israelite camps. So it begins with a story that is quite fanciful and ends with an unusual uh, episode in which two people are killed in the name of uh, God. Uh, it's a story of zealotry at the end. With me this morning is Rabbi Neil Borovitz, who is Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey. He served that congregation for 25 years. Uh, prior to assuming his position in River Edge, New Jersey, Rabbi Borovitz served as a Hillel rabbi an instructor of biblical and religious studies at the University of Texas in Austin, 
and was executive director of the Labor Zionist Alliance in the United States, and also served a congregation in Brooklyn, New York, known as Union Temple. He is an active leader in community affairs. He's been a member of the Bergen County, New Jersey Interfaith Brotherhood Sisterhood Committee. He is the past chair of the Jewish Community Relations Council of the Jewish Federation of Northern New Jersey, and he currently serves as vice chair of the National Board of the Jewish Council for Public Affairs. Rabbi Borowitz Iborowitz is known as an excellent teacher and a loyal supporter of the state of Israel. It's a pleasure to welcome you to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you. And most important, we're classmates. That's right. Nearly 50 years ago, Rabbi Borovitz and I uh, were uh, transported from the United States to Israel to study for a year. And that is how we intersected with each other. And then we studied for the rabbinate for the next four years. Um, So it's always a pleasure to welcome a classmate to the show and to learn from him. This week's Torah portion is both deep and fanciful. Um, It's fanciful in that we have talking donkeys, and we have um, donkeys that uh, turn out to represent the angel of God, and we have angels of God um, with swords in their hands, um, so let's begin with the most <clears throat> obvious place. Why is Bilam um, unable to curse the Israelite people? He's unable to do so, I believe, uh, because Bilam really does see himself as a prophet, that the words he's going to utter are not his words. Uh, the whole concept of prophecy uh, in uh, in the Torah and in the Bible in general is that uh, the person becomes a vehicle for the words of God. Uh, it's actually, uh, there's an actual mystical expression that we use uh, before the central prayer of Jewish worship in which we, we say, God, open my lips and let my mouth utter your praises, which fundamentally is saying, let the presence of God, the Shekhinah, the indwelling presence of God, come through me and praise the uh, God, tra- the, the transcendent aspect of God. And here it's coming through the lowest of animals. Uh, and uh, ironically, uh, as uh, Rabbi Garten, you were giving the, the summary of the portion, the portion ends where I believe that uh Pinchas, the high priest, doesn't get the message uh, of uh, of love and humanity. But I think that God's voice coming from the lowest, lowliest of places is so relevant to our world today uh, because of the worldwide pandemic uh, in which we're living, in social isolation that all of a sudden our churches and our synagogues, the normal gathering places where we uh, come to hear uh, and express uh, the presence of God, are closed. 
are limited. How do we find God's presence? Uh, how do we how do we find uh, a sense of community and uh, holy community? Uh, can we? And the other thing is, how do we take uh, the curses that Bilam wanted to uh, uh, express and turn them into blessings? How do we take the curses of COVID nineteen? Uh, and, and turn them into a blessing. How do we come to, uh, to me, I think there's a sense that I have, uh, and being in, in the United States, we're uh, a few months ahead of you guys in Canada uh, right now, but experiencing the blessing of being able to hug a person, uh, to, uh, to be able to uh, hold my grandchildren, uh, to go out in public and uh, with friends, uh, is unbelievable. And 18 months ago, I took it for granted. So, um, Rabbi Borovitz, you've made the wonderful transition from the story to how we understand it in our own lives. But I want to take you back to the story for a moment. Because the literal story can be somewhat confusing for those who don't have the um, background that you do. So for our listeners' sake, why is it that uh, Balak, the king of the Moabites, um, goes to uh, Bilam to curse the Israelites? And why is Bilam so open um, as a mem- non-member of the Israelite community to uh, hearing the God of the Israelites' voice? There are two questions okay. there. One is, why does uh, Balak want him to curse them? And why does God and Bilam have such intimate conversations in the beginning? So I think that the, ba- the answer to, uh, of Balak is tragically too simple, because we continue to live in a world in which uh, people like to lift themselves up by putting others down. So uh, let's let's find somebody who can uh, fight my battle for me against my my perceived enemy. Instead of loving my neighbor and seeking uh, seeking cooperation and coexistence, Balak wants to destroy these people who all they want to do is have a pathway through through his land uh, to come. They're not, not they're not looking to settle in Moab. Uh, their their goal is so, so that's an interesting that's an interesting point that we should stress that the Israelites are really looking to just pass through Moab. They're not looking to conquer it. Uh, they're not. It's not um, considered in the Torah part of the promised land. Right. Right. In many ways, they're they're refugees on their way to another uh, to a place of of safe harbor, and all they need is passageway, a way station. Uh, and uh, Balak wants to uh, stop them, so he he hires this this guy who sees himself as a magician, and all of a sudden, I think that uh, in this story, I see Bilam undergoing a religious transformation. Uh, that instead of using his oratorical skills to uh, blast uh, this 
uh, this for this foreign entity, these foreigners, uh, something within him, all of a sudden he feels the presence of God. And I think Torah is trying to uh, here exp express something that uh, I believe is such an important lesson for us in the 21st century, uh, that whether we Jews or Christians or Muslims uh, or Hindus, uh, there's a sense of oneness that we all really uh, express the oneness of God and that our religious faiths are different pathways to the one God, uh, to the one source of truth, justice, and peace. And uh, that's uh, that's what Bilam exper uh, experiences. He opens his mouth and he, with the intent of cursing, and all of a sudden, out of it comes blessing. Uh, why this happens? This is this is what mis mystical reality is. But it also says that you and I and every human being, including uh, Bilam, the prophet for hire, can. Uh, hear the voice of God, hear the voice of truth, and become uh, and 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 be become a voice of expressing God's voice in this world. So you're suggesting rather strongly that the uh, superficial story of talking donkeys and um, magicians. Um, really is um, illusionary for the main importance of the uh, Torah portion. Um, but there is this wonderful episode where Bilam, having been told by God not to curse the people, decides to curse the people. And we can argue about whether he's doing that on his own or whether he's been um, uh, it's been suggested by God, the God of the Israelites, that he go curse the people. Um, and then he gets on this donkey, um, and begins his journey to, uh, the Israelite camp. And, uh, on the journey, his donkey is able to see an angel of God standing in the pathway, waving a sword. And what strikes me, and perhaps our readers as well, our listeners, is that in the beginning of the Torah portion, Bilam um, and God have this uh, conversation one to each other, whether it's in a dream or it's um, during a waking state we don't really have clarity about. But then on the journey riding the donkey, he sees an angel. Do you have a suggestion of why the Torah decided to change the motif from this direct conversation of God to Bilam to what becomes a very wonderful, fanciful Shrek story of talking donkeys? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know exactly. But what I think it teaches us, uh, there's parallels other places. The, the interactions are. Uh, between Moses and Pharaoh during the plagues. There's also all that magic. Uh, and, and, and Pharaoh goes back and forth. Uh, the beauty here is that uh, Bilam doesn't, uh, doesn't die. He doesn't send an army 
uh, against the Israelites to kill them. Uh, there's no, there's no death and destruction in this story, uh, as there is uh, in the story of the Exodus with the plagues. Uh, and maybe, I guess I feel it's because Bilam ultimately, when he, when he, his his final uh, blessing, Matovu Ohalacha Yaakov Mishkanotecha Yisrael, how goodly are your tents, O Jacob. Your dwelling places, O Israel, which becomes uh, part of uh, the the opening of the morning liturgy in Jewish tradition every day of the year, uh, that he realizes uh, he doesn't have to take vengeance. Uh, he realizes uh, there's really a sense of, uh, of of repentance, of change that are, that happens to Bilam. Uh, he experiences God's presence uh, and does something about it, unlike Pharaoh, who experienced God's presence in some awesome uh, and awful ways and doesn't change. So you've suggested that um, the prophet Bilam, who sometimes known as a magician, has a moment of repentance. And he has a moment of clarity. The Torah portion, however, seems to uh, end with a different kind of hero. It ends with Penches, um, a member of the priesthood, uh, slaughtering um, an Israelite, um, coupling with a Midianite woman, and he seems to be praised because the very next Torah portion has his name on it. Um, so while it appears that there's not much violence on the part of those who want to do violence, namely Balak and Bilam, um, the Torah gives us this episode of violence, which is it praised? I mean, does Pinchas become a hero because he's responded violently in the name of God? Well, he's not a hero to me. Uh, and uh, uh, he's a very controversial figure when you look at uh, Jewish biblical uh, commentators uh, over the millennium. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, Pinchas didn't get the message. Uh, and then Pinchas acted... Uh, he felt because of his position in the community, uh, he he could he could determine what was just and what was right. And uh, ah, so and I don't think so. He, he took it upon himself right. because there's no commandment from God that he should act in such a violent That's way. Right. It no, there's no there's no verse in, in this story. In the end, or in next week's story, that says, uh, "And God's el Pinchas," and God uh, spoke to Pinchas. Uh, and uh, and in the Bilam story, well, it doesn't use that. We have this image of the angel. An angel uh, in the Bible is not an independent being, uh, but an emanation of God. Uh, and uh, there's no. God isn't at the end of that story. This is Pinchas uh, taking, uh, putting himself up. 
I think Pinchas didn't learn the lessons of his uncles, Nadav and Abihu. So for those who don't know that story, Nadav and Abihu are Aaron's elder sons. And on the day that the priesthood is affirmed, ordained, takes its last step to be the representatives of God in the sanctuary, the Torah tells us that Nadav and Abihu came before God with strange fire, Eshzar, um, and that God, uh, in a fire pan, and God did not um, want that offering. And so uh, he struck them dead. And you're suggesting that there's some similarity, if not parallelism, between um, Pinchas and his cousins um, and the fact that they were zealots uh, with regard to worship and did not bring the fire that God wanted. And here, too, Pinchas does not bring the behavior that God wants. Yes. Am I hearing Absol- you correctly? Absolutely. And I think that the the parallel for us today is uh, we live in a world in which uh, there are too many people under the cloak of religious leadership uh, think that uh, they and they alone know what God wants. Uh, and whether it be, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the Ayatollahs in Islam uh, or uh, certain fundamental, uh, certain uh, certain fundamentalist televangelists uh, in America, uh, or uh, ultra orthodox rabbis uh, in Israel. Uh, I'm not sure that they really speak uh, uh, that they have a corner on God's uh, on, on God's messaging, and they're not the only messengers of God. Well, we certainly see that um, throughout the world today that people um, seem to believe that God's message um, can only be channeled through very um, rigid parameters. Um, I mean, you've mentioned the Ayatollahs, you've mentioned um, certain uh, fundamentalist Christian groups, the, the Catholic, the Conference of Catholic Bishops in the United States, and perhaps soon in Canada, are certainly suggesting, um, in contradistinction to the Pope, that they know God's message and that um, they alone will be the people to determine who receives the sacraments, the Eucharist. Um, so how do we know what God's message is? Here's where I think uh, the prophetic portion uh, for this week that accompanies each week, in addition to a portion from the Torah, uh, as you know, Rabbi Garten, we read a, a portion from the prophets. And the uh, the rabbis of the second century who set up this uh, Haftorah, uh, it's called, uh, these prophetic readings each week, uh, chose the prophet Micah uh, to, be, to, to be the accompanying passage for this weird and crazy uh, Torah portion. Uh, and what is Micah's message? What is it that God requires uh, of us? to do justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Uh, and and I think that uh, that to me is uh, the most important thing. And you and I, over the 50 years of our uh, uh, friendship and uh, relationship, uh, have certainly uh, come to understand the importance of that, of to take our work uh, as teachers uh, uh, of, of Jewish values and ideas and Jewish texts uh, seriously, uh, but not take ourselves so seriously, that we have to have a yes, little bit of humility. Uh, right. I want to repeat the closing verses before we run sure. out of time for our listeners. Um, the prophet Micah says, He has told you, O human beings, what is good and what the Lord demands of you, to do justice, to love kindly, and to walk discreetly with your God. Um, and that seems to be uh, clearly a refutation of uh, Pinchas. Absolutely, because it's not the sacrifices we offer. And we find this in many other prophets. And the prophet Isaiah, uh, who we uh, study on the Day of Atonement, uh, it's not uh, it's not the, the accoutrements, uh, but it's, it's what we do in our lives and the humi- the, to walk humbly. I, I like, instead of discreetly, I, I like to translate humbly. Hum, uh, humbly, to be humble, to love just, to pursue justice, uh, and yet to be merciful. And if anything, bringing it back to where I, or I'm sort of stuck on this 16 months of pandemic, uh, what is it we all need to really do now? We need to, uh, act justly towards each other, uh, to act with mercy and kindness towards each other, uh, and to be humble. If anything, uh, to me, the COVID-19 has truly humbled uh, me to realize how much we're not in control uh, and and how do we make the world better and come out of uh, this, this, this crisis uh, better than we, when we entered it, which I think is sometimes you got to look for the message in strange and weird places. Uh, I think it's a great place to end our conversation this morning, to look for what blessings come out of this curse, to look how to walk humbly, and to be a little less narcissistic um, and heed the word of Micah. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Neil Borovitz, Rabbi Emeritus um, from uh, Temple uh, Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey. And um, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can find a podcast of this morning's conversation on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. I wish you shalom and a good day. Behold.